0: We don't need to look to the temple in Jerusalem anymore and it stays destroyed because it serves no purpose anymore.
1: True believers, and welcome to Simply Devotion, the podcast that is all about seeking Jesus on deeper theological levels because he is worthy of all of our devotion. And this week, I have a special two-part series to introduce you to. Originally, I sat down with my good friend, Jonathan Martin, and another good friend, peter thomas and we recorded what we thought was going to be one episode specializing on jesus and jerusalem however what happened was we were enjoying our conversation so much that we weren't really paying attention to the clock and we recorded enough information on jesus and the history of the rise fall and even resurrection of jerusalem that we had enough for a two-part episode. And so I'm going to split this episode and this will be part one. Since everything's all recorded and edited already, I can pretty much guarantee that part two will come out in exactly two weeks. While it's fair to say that I might be a little bit biased, I think that you're going to really enjoy this episode of Simply Devotion, looking at Jesus and Jerusalem. Peter Thomas is a good friend of mine, and um, as a lay person, he is The person I know most to be absolutely in love with history and reading the academics of history. So when I decided to sit down and record this episode with Jonathan about Jerusalem, particularly on the destruction of Jerusalem, I just had to invite my good friend Peter because me and Peter have spent many days many hours in my office just talking about the history of jerusalem and its fall and how uh, titus surrounded the city and what happened when titus surrounded the city so um i think that you're going to really be blessed by the depths that we're going to go into looking at you know where did jerusalem come from when did israel take possession of Jerusalem. What does the word Jerusalem mean? And what is still to unfold in the future of Jerusalem? Well, let's get at it. Welcome to Jesus in Jerusalem, part one. Let's jump into our pre-recorded conversation with Jonathan and Peter. Jonathan Martin is back with me this week to be my co-host. Super excited to be here. Also with us this week, we have Peter Thomas. He is one of the only people I have ever told, go read Josephus. He answers your questions and
2: he did. Very happy to be here too as well. But yes, in, in, I didn't major in history in school, but it became basically a, a major minor and I was really good friends with the people of the history department. Yeah, so I'm very, very happy and excited and um, to be here.
1: This episode is all about Jerusalem. We're gonna be talking about predominantly Jerusalem in the Josephus time and the time of Jesus and the time of destruction of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was destroyed a few times. So we're gonna go all the way back to the beginning of the first reference of Jerusalem in the Bible. As far as I know, the first reference of Jerusalem in the Bible Shows up Very early After the flood, pre-Temple time Pre-Israel time In the time of the patriarchs In fact, at the time of Abraham Genesis 14 Abraham has just come back from Saving his nephew Lot Who's always getting into trouble <laughs> It's kind of like John that way um, yeah, exactly <laughs> And uh, You know, he finds this mysterious king, Melchizedek, out in the desert. And Melchizedek are bringing him symbols of blessing. And this is kind of interesting because Yahweh had told Abraham that those who bless him will be blessed and those who curse him will be cursed. And here comes Melchizedek with potluck. He's got the bread and he's got the wine, which for Christians will become symbolically on, right? And Melchizedek comes out and there's not a lot given to us in genesis he's a king of salem king of the city of peace and he puts a blessing on abraham and abraham receives that blessing and pays him a tithe now we think about it for a minute everyone came off the ark in the christian narrative in the biblical narrative right it makes sense that there wouldn't be other people other than abraham Who know about Yahweh and remember Yahweh We are not that far away from Shem, Ham, and Japheth and Noah And so there are other people on the land And of course we know the story God's evicting the other people and bringing Abraham in And I just always find it kind of funny I don't know what you guys think I I find it kind of funny that Abraham wanders across a king of a land that his ancestors are going to own there's some irony there. Yeah, I can
0: I can see the I can see the irony that you're kind of drawing out of out of the text here because the reality is, is as you said, that Abraham was destined, right? His family, yes. his his children, his children's children, they were destined to take over the land that this guy is the king
1: of. Right. And he's blessing Abraham. <laughs> right. I mean, so he's not even painted as a bad guy. No, you no, know, he's he, not. He, he's, he's a true follower of God, right? Exactly.
0: And so you, you almost kind of feel bad. Those of us that know the rest of the story are just like, oh, man, this guy's a great guy, but he's a king of peace and
1: righteousness.
0: Yeah, um, but you know, I guess Abraham is, is destined for the land that this guy is is overseeing.
1: Well, it could be that his children are really bad, John.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and there's evidence there's evidence in scripture of, of things like that for sure. Um, the, the fascinating thing about history prior to Abraham okay. is is that um, before Abraham, you know, God is trying to work with. Everybody. Right. He's, he's trying to, to bring everybody into not just a knowledge of who he is, uh, but into a, some sort of right relationship with himself. Um, and so, um, because God is working with everybody um, and not just Abraham, it isn't surprising to note that there are righteous people. Who know God And they're just kind of Distributed, you know, throughout the land Right um, Yeah, and so it's not until Abraham That God decides he's going to move Within a people Who will become a nation And so, you know The history of God's people Prior to Abraham is, You know, it's a little bit cloudy We don't we don't know all the details there As right. the existence of Melchizedek Shows us
1: You know, I don't feel so bad about Melchizedek because the author of Hebrews paints him in a very positive light, literally saying that he's more important than Aaron and that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not this sort of sketchy guy Aaron. So, (laughs) so, but that's a sidebar. But what is also interesting, me and Peter were talking about this off air, Peter, is that the next time we see Jerusalem— is also with Abraham and his son. Remember that, Peter?
2: Right. I believe. I don't think there's any such thing as coincidence. I mean, I've always believed that Melchizedek, God told him, or at least gave him strong indication, I'm going to do something with Abraham. So, and you're a good guy anyway, but I think this person in particular, you should bless. Um, he may have right. told him that eventually he's going to get that. And also, too, I think the reason why God started specifically picking Abraham lineage is that he had to pick a lineage because my son's going to come down my right. son's going to be born of a people so i'm i better start picking a people now and then fail him which they did even abraham they did but it's because let me pick, i got to start picking somebody now and set the groundwork satan knows this too and so satan works as you see through the horse of the course of history through jerusalem worked very very hard to discredit to basically you do everything he could to destroy the nation of Israel. And I actually also find it interesting and sad that even after corporately, I won't say individually, but corporately, um, the people of Israel corporately rejected Christ's son, Satan still has to stop trying to destroy them because it's still, because even to this day, universally, the Jews are acknowledged, oh, these are God's chosen people. Even right. if you don't necessarily believe in the Christian God, that's who they are. And Satan has still tried to, over the years, to get them blotted out. Even though corporately, I'm not saying individually, they rejected his son, it's still not good enough. He says, I want, to, I, I want to blot out their existence. And God, over time, has punished them for ignoring him and rejecting his son. But he's also realized, too, as I understand the other bigger picture of what the other side's trying to do, so I'll let I'll cause them to suffer and I'll allow them to be suffered and captured and all kinds of things. But I think in God's mind is I really can't allow them to be totally obliterated where their name never existed in the future just because. And that's just my own personal opinion, but I always think that. It, you know. I, I, I think the text of
1: Genesis 14 favors the idea, Peter, that you brought out that for some reason Melchizedek is out there to bless Abraham, like he's coming with the bread and the wine. He's coming with the blessing. And it's happening right after God told Abraham, Look for those who are blessing you. I'm sending people to bless you. And then, boom, there's this king and he blesses him. And so it could be. We don't know all of Melchizedek's back order. What we do know is that in Genesis 22, we are told that the very place that Isaac is offered is on a mountain in the region of Moriah. And traditionally, Christians and Jews say that that is the mount. And they even go as far as to say the place where Isaac was almost sacrificed, I should say, Mm -hmm. is where the Ark of the Covenant was and where the Dome of the Rock is now. Although Islam disagrees and Islam does not think that was the spot. And that is not why Islam has put the Dome of the Rock there. Mm. Islam believes that. Muhammad appeared in that spot, um, had an ascension in that spot. And that's why they've put the Dome of the Rock. But I don't want to get all the way ahead of there. We'll get to the Dome of the Rock. My point only is, first, Genesis 14, suddenly, Jerusalem is important. Genesis 22, Jerusalem is important. We have all the way through Egypt. We have the Exodus. Moses comes out. Joshua leads them across to the Promised Land. They flounder under judges. It's not until David, the second king, in 2 Samuel 5, that the ark comes to Jerusalem. And that at that point becomes headquarters or the capital or whatever we want to call it. It's the capital, maybe not because of the land, maybe, maybe because the ark is there. David seems to think that's important, and then David is like, "We gotta build a, we gotta build a temple right now." We know how that goes with Nathan and the, the wavering and the wavering. <laughs> and Solomon builds in First Kings eight, apparently an amazing temple, right? And then from there, what happens? We have another nation enter the picture, ironically, and uh, we can reflect on the irony here, guys. The nation God uses to punish Jerusalem when everything is all settled and Abraham's descendants are there are the ancestors of Abraham. (laughs) Abraham is from the plain of Shinar. He's from the land of Ur. He's from Babylon. (laughs) There's some more irony. Isn't Jerusalem a city of irony? What do you guys think?
2: (laughs) I totally agree.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But this marks first destruction of the temple right um it is a really big deal in the history of israel a defining moment right
0: yeah i mean uh, the fact that the temple was destroyed and the people of israel went into exile as we've as we've referred to in, in a previous episode you know this moment redefined judaism Mm-hmm. Um, and and if it wasn't for the destruction of the temple by Babylon and the exile of God's people, you know, Judaism would have been very, very different at the time of Jesus. So this is a, a very defining moment uh, for not just the history of the Jewish people, but for their religion.
2: Question, at least clarification, by the time the destruction, the first time of the Babylonians came, the actual Ark is gone has long been gone, right? Okay.
0: Yeah, My understanding is That when Babylon Was surrounding The city uh, Levites in the temple Somebody in the temple Took it upon themselves to To hide it, it, it I mean, that's my understanding I don't know and it, um, never,
2: it, has, it has never been found since, correct?
1: Yeah, it's both John's understanding And a plot of a really good movie
2: Right. <laughs> Indiana Jones In
1: Second Kings chapter 25 In verse 9 it says that Nebuchadnezzar set fire To the temple of the Lord And the royal palace and the houses in Jerusalem And he burnt the whole building down And that His army Broke even the walls of Jerusalem Down so It kind of makes sense that a Levite May have grabbed the ark And ran It could have been also that Nebuchadnezzar brought it back to Babylon we don't really know but it's gone and that becomes a defining moment in Israel's history in Ezra and Nehemiah which I recently preached on I think Peter was there um, when they rebuild the temple Peter what is their response what are they like when when they finally come out of captivity God gives them back Jerusalem and and they rebuild the city what's that experience like for them
2: Everything's great now? Well, life's not going to make it easy for you, so everything wasn't necessarily great. Um, it was great the fact that they got the city, you know, they got to go back. That in itself was a miracle that God worked on. At mm-hmm. one point, Ezra said, okay, we're going to have two groups. We're going to have one group that's going to build, the other group is going to stand watch. Yep. We could
1: think about it this way. Losing the temple was so traumatic. And getting the temple back was so difficult. And even getting the city rebuilt and the foundations down, right? You know, because you have a builder and, and and a watch watching group. You would think that after all that trauma, they would really appreciate Jerusalem and having Jerusalem back, right? Um, and having their temple back, they're kind of sad too. Remember, because it pales in reflection to the glory of the first temple,
2: right? And mm-hmm. Temple empty, <laughs> you can say, mm-hmm. and, 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 and you know, nothing, I guess, scripture says, or even tradition says nothing was greater than Solomon's temple. You'll probably tend to believe that because there's no ruler in the history of the world that had more material wealth than Solomon. So that kind of goes to make sense. But in on one hand, you should be happy. You have it. And the, the temple's only good as the glory of God. If the glory of God is there, and mm-hmm. it's the greatest temple in the world, but they kind of, it's still not Solomon's temple. Yes, but then the ironic part is that the reason why it's not Solomon's temple was not because of God's fault, it's because of your fault for your ancestors' faults. For well, after fair warning, and there was any number of major and minor prophets warning them that this is going to happen if you do not repent and turn your ways. They didn't. Here's the consequence. You get your temple back and then the lament is, oh. You know it's it's not solomon's temple well yeah there's a reason you could have had solomon's temple but this is the consequences of you know not following god but again right never try to make sense out of somebody else's anguish or never try to make sense out of (laughs) jealousy or sin because it, it makes no sense me and john had a whole episode where
1: we talked about the type of judaism that grows out of that anguish that grows out of that deficiency It grows out of knowing they lost Solomon's temple And now they're stuck with this lesser temple And this lesser version of their city And, you know, for 400 years Until the time of Jesus This is when the rabbinic traditions grow. This is when the Pharisees come up. This is when the Sadducees develop and the Sanhedrin become this ruling power over the temple, right? And they make uh, political deals with the nations that oppress them. And even Herod, and, and shortly before Jesus, so beautified the temple coming into the time of Jesus that some historians thought it was a different building we we called it when we talked about it in an episode second temple judaism because the whole culture of the religion changed because of the sins of their ancestors as peter told us um but also because they are like got this trauma to work out right <laughs> and they're afraid they're going to make those mistakes again and this is where the idea of the messiahs come from. The Essenes out in the desert are like talking about. This is not a real temple. The real temple is what Solomon had. you, you know, you know, this insufficient. There needs to be a new temple. You know, and you got the zealots and all. Let's just kill the Romans and you know we'll take over and we'll go get the Essenes and they'll build a new temple and you, you, you know and, and and then you got like you got the they are like you know. We gotta work with the Pharisees, we don't like them. I mean, they believe in angels and they, they, they believe in resurrection, but we'll work with them because they can't keep the people calmed down while we go broke or deal with you know the kings, the governors, you know, the, the, the tetrarchs, and and so all this is sort of going on leading into the time of Jesus. Now, Jesus shows up at the temple for the first time trick question john when when he, he was went. a 12 year old boy he was in the temple well I,
2: uh-huh. I guess that's, no no no. <laughs> oh, i guess when? i guess oh, yeah, uh, that's a trick when, question too i was thinking the same thing right yes when? no
0: i guess it was when he when he was dedicated at the temple would have been the first time he was in the temple but i guess at that time his parents took him but when he was 12 he went himself
1: nice recovery john <laughs> Jesus is at the temple at age two And there's like this prophet who's been waiting his whole life To see the baby, right? Um, But yes, he has his first interaction at the temple At age 12, right? When his parents kind of lost him Yeah. (laughs) I mean,
0: again, we have to put that in in its proper context, right? Um, You know, a lot of times when we think of a family trip, you know, it's like, okay, load the kids up in the car. Let me count. Everybody's here. All right, let's go. Um, That wasn't necessarily the case uh, in the time of Jesus uh, because of how dangerous the land could be. Um, Particularly if you're traveling near Samaria, there's conflict there between the Samaritans and the Jews. They would travel um, in caravans, big, huge caravans. And so, um, you know, it, it's, yes, um, it's kind of bad that they lost Jesus, but at the same time, they probably just thought he's somewhere in the caravan.
2: Right, and speaking as a parent or knowing other parents, when you have that, there isn't a, I won't say, most or a lot of parents have experienced the same thing. Maybe not lost them for days, but, oh, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. He right. told me, yeah. it was there, or he said he was gonna be with such and such you know, or the such recessions that we didn't tell. So that can that can happen even to this day.
1: Yeah,
0: and, and I don't necessarily want to belabor the point, but, uh, you know, the reality is these caravans weren't just, you know, Joseph and Mary. It could have included their relatives as well. Been, so everyone from coming from Galilee. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, Jesus could have literally been with his cousins, right? Um, his aunts, his uncles, whatever it was. Um, you know, so, yes... In our Western culture, as we think of it today, we think, man, how could that be
1: possible? But during the time of Jesus, it kind of makes sense. I, I, I'm just saying that one of us should preach a sermon on that story and call it Losing Your Religion and use R.E.M. as a soundtrack. That's all I'm <laughs> saying. And the cool people listening to my podcast understand that humor. <laughs> I noticed John didn't laugh. <laughs>
0: Um, Here for the uncool people of your podcast
1: (laughs) You're here for the uncool people of my podcast (laughs) (laughs) So with all of this We got, you know, it goes all the way back to Abraham It goes all the way back to Isaac It goes all the way back to, you you know Solomon and David, you know and, And then you have, you know, Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel You know, you have... Them coming back in shifts in the book of Esther, you know, they reclaim their city and Jesus goes there as a baby. But as Peter pointed out, the glory has already departed until Jesus comes. He is the glory that comes to the temple, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. the wisdom that comes to the temple at 12. He is the glory as the baby. Like the prophet's been waiting. I've I waited my whole life to lay my eyes upon this one. He's the glory, but he's also the teaching, right? We talked about that in one of our podcasts. When we talked about synagogue versus temple, he's the teaching. And as the baby, he's the glory that comes to the temple to be dedicated, ordained. But at 12, he's the teaching. And he's literally doing what? Correcting (laughs) the priest, right? (laughs) Giving them a one-over on their education, right? Um, What else do we know about the temple in the time of Jesus? Like, what's... How does Jesus feel about the Temple? How does Jesus feel about not just the Temple, Jerusalem? So he lives mostly in Galilee. We've established that in other episodes. If we follow Mark's tradition, he only comes once. But we know when we look, read the other Gospels, he came more than once. John, you're our expert on Galilee. I mean, that's his claim to fame. Um, how often would someone who lived way up in Galilee be expected to come to the temple.
0: So they would probably go for the, uh, major festivals. Uh, so you're probably talking about Passover. Um, for sure. You know, they, they would, they would travel down for Passover. Um, you know, some other festivals may include the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, but, Again we it seems At least the way I read the gospels Jesus is usually Around the temple Usually around Passover time So it seems as though Jesus is is Very interested in, in Passover
1: That also could though Be um, the writers The evangelists Of yeah. the gospels Trying to make that strengthen that parallel Between Jesus And Passover right You know he is the Passover.
0: Yes. And, and and yes. And so the author has a reason to kind of connect, you know, Jesus to Passover or to some of these other festivals, because, again, um, you know, Passover is huge because Jesus came to die. Right? Right. So there's a clear connection there, um, you know, to Passover. So, yeah, I could see how the author would have wanted to be particularly. Uh, cautious and making sure to to point that out
1: On the other hand though Jerusalem and Galilee Capernaum Nazareth Magdala all that region is a little hike it's not a huge hike yeah it's about a four to five
0: day journey depending on how fast you know you're you're traveling so you know it's a four full day, journey, and you're walking for for those four full days, and uh, you're camping along the side of the road, and then when you get to Jerusalem, you know, there's a cost involved with that as well. You wouldn't just go to Jerusalem just to go to Jerusalem. Um, You know, it it, it took planning, uh, which is why a lot of people went in caravans. Uh, It took money, and of course, it took time. Um, And if you're living in in a society where your time is valuable because, you know, your main source of income is fishing or your main source of income is is growing food out in the fields, um, leaving uh, your job. Uh, also was, was a, a major commitment. So they had to be selective on when they went to Jerusalem.
1: Sure, absolutely. I, I know in a car, in a bus, it took us four hours to make the trip between Galilee, um, you know, back roads and stopping, and you know, about three to four hours. We, we can probably expect that he was there more than at Passovers. But we, looking at the distance, we can probably expect that he wasn't there all the time. But being that it's such a big part, it's like essential central part. It's kind of like living in Florida and going to Disneyland. How often do you take your kids to Disneyland, John? We just came back a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but when was the last time I took them
0: before that? Uh, years. Uh, my son, I mean, my son went to parks that he's never been to. Um, so, you know, yes, Disneyland is 40 minutes from where I live. But even then, it's not a place that I go to very often.
1: That's part of my point, right? Part of my point is, yes, it's a big central thing. Kids probably always want to go there. People always want a vacation there. But but just because it's there and it's a reasonable distance doesn't mean you make every holiday. I'm just thinking about my kid and I've taken my child. I live in D.C. Both me and Peter live in the D.C. area. Peter literally lives in D.C. I live just outside of it. I've taken my kid to the Smithsonian three or four times, Mm. but I could take him every day. In it out, right? So we don't know, is my point. Right, right. We we
0: we do not know. But what's interesting about the fact that Jesus wasn't in Jerusalem a lot is if you are a rabbi right and you're trying to build a following, then it the the conventional wisdom of the day would have been you need to gain some clout in Jerusalem among right. the teachers. In Jerusalem, uh, right. because their goal was to end up in Jerusalem and be a major teacher in the land of Judea. Yet Jesus purposefully chose to go a different route.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is very interesting. And and then when he gets to Jerusalem, he, he doesn't always have nice things to say about it.
2: The temple is where they did most of the sacrifices, so you could tell what he thought of. All the things that went on—it was having the form of piety, but you're still conducting business on sacred ground, um, and you're allowing that. That's okay with you. But at the same token, you got rules that you're, you're trying to—you get me in trouble for just having my disciples pick up wheat <laughs> you know, right. on the Sabbath day. and you have no problem of selling all kinds of stuff right on the temple grounds um and overcharging i may sense too That's probably another thing that got jesus too is they're only selling on temple grounds they're definitely overcharging for people who can't afford it to begin with. Mm. extortion yeah
1: both times he turns over the the money changers is at the temple the temple is the only place that they can make you a, a sacrifice um and you know He's very upset about what's going on at the temple He's very upset about this illustrious history Of Jerusalem that we've talked about This pattern of going into sin Getting forgiveness Going into sin Getting forgiveness, right? He, he's upset about What the traditions say happened to the prophets, right? Um, you know Tradition says Isaiah We don't have this from scripture That Isaiah was put into a log And sawed in half In Jerusalem right uh, Thank you for your ministry uh, Yeah It's kind of how it is isn't it John
0: <laughs> And then when you consider How important the prophecies of Isaiah Are to Messiah right. You know
1: you're just like One there dies on a coming. tree one dies in a tree Yeah
0: <laughs> Exactly <laughs>
1: Right? So, so it makes sense that Jesus says in Luke 13, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I could have longed to gather you to gather your children together as a hen chick, as a mother hen, would gather her chicks under her wing, but you were not willing. It's an emotional statement. It is. You know, I don't think
0: Jesus is yelling this as, you know, like an angry person. I think he's, he's weeping over jerusalem this is this is a statement he makes in anguish you know oh jerusalem jerusalem how many times has god tried to get your attention how many times has has god tried to reveal his purposes and his plans to you and you turn your back you kill you persecute those who were sent for your good.
1: Right. It's like the parable he tells, right? Remember the parable he tells, tells the parable about the man who builds a vineyard and he leases out his vineyard. And then he goes on a journey. And when he comes back and it's time to collect the money for the, for, for the vineyard, he goes to get it. He, He sends a prophet to get it. He sends a person to get it and they kill him. He sends somebody else to get it and they kill him. And then he's like well now I will send my son Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And they will love and they will respect my son But they see him They realize who he is Is what Jesus says in this parable right Mm -hmm. And they say let us kill him because if we kill him Then we will own the vineyard and like, he's telling that to people in Jerusalem, like, it's just, it's like this is who you are,
0: right? I think it's important to make a, a distinction. It's not that Jesus hates the city Jerusalem itself.
1: Oh no, he
0: loves right. Him. Yeah, he he loves Jerusalem. Right. It's not that Jesus has something against Jerusalem. Um, it's that Jerusalem he, doesn't love him. Right. It's 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 the people. Right, who have made a, a choice um, a, against against him,
1: and he loves the people too. Jesus loves Jerusalem. Jesus loves what Jerusalem was supposed to be. Jesus loves, you know, the good moments that Jerusalem was that spark, you know, going all the way back to Abraham. You know, going all the way back to the symbolism of Isaac, going all the way back to you know Solomon and David, um, and even the rebuilding of the temple. And I think he wants to be the glory to fill that temple again. The problem isn't the city, and and I also think the problem isn't the people, but a lot of people who love Jesus in Jerusalem, like you know, they shout Hosanna. They, they shout, you know, glory be to the, the, the king, right, as he enters right. the city, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, his best friends live in the suburbs of Jerusalem. Bethany, right? Bethany is mm-hmm. the burbs of Jerusalem. Um, and, you know, he, when he comes to town, this is one of the ways we would know that Jesus frequent Jerusalem. He's got friends in the region. hmm um, there's two two times he cleansed the temple um, All the Mary, Martha, Simon Lazarus stories are, are in and around If not literally in the walls of Jerusalem They're in the community of Jerusalem They're in, in Judea hmm. um, Bethlehem and Jerusalem are a stone throw away from each other Like literally we've talked about that right Like today it's just a wall Between them and if it wasn't for the Palestinian wall It It would be one city today <laughs> Modern yeah. Jerusalem and Bethlehem Um. So yeah I think that's what's Heartbreaking right Everything about this city All the way back to Isaac Was supposed to be designed to represent him
2: hmm.
1: and to represent his ministry, but it just doesn't come home. It's not that he didn't try, Jesus loves Jerusalem the same way men love their first girlfriend. And it doesn't work out. This is the kind of love Jesus has for Jerusalem, that passionate first love that doesn't get returned. Jesus in Jerusalem is kind of a tragic romance. One day, towards the end of his life, he's in town. Mark tells us he's in town for Passover. And his disciples, begin to ask him what is this all about what is this temple about what does it have to do with the end of the world what is your eschatological message jesus does it have anything to say about your city why your city because you're messiah and if you're messiah this is where you should be king and jesus begins to tell them Not one stone Will remain Not only just on the temple But the buildings too Now John I know you've been to Jerusalem I know you've walked the foot of those those Walls I have I got pictures The stones From the rubble Are still at the bottom right Did you see any of them I did.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's there's stones there, and, and if I'm remembering correctly, what's interesting about some of those stones is that you can still see the burn marks. Yes. On them from the fires. Yes, that, that were lit in the process of destroying the temple in the city.
2: You know what I found fascinating? I haven't been there, but thanks to Betty showing pictures and other pictures, I've seen recently. But uh, the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Yep, and so just by math, that's what two thousand plus years. Nobody's thought to move them, to rebuild them. Not not rebuild them. We knew there wasn't going to be just even to okay, You got rubble here. Eventually, enough people have occupied that. Let's just get rid of this and put something else, or just get rid of it to get rid of it. Those that that's always been there. And I think that because those are the words of Jesus, just to prove like I said not one stone would be upon the other. It's still there just to say that see it, I said not one stone would be in on another. Two thousand years later, it's not still not one stone is on the other. And those can see from generations upon generations, this is what happened. And I always kind of think of I'm thinking of the Roman soldiers who did this, they probably thought they weren't thinking that far ahead, but you know, now yeah, eventually somebody's gonna overbuild this. <clears throat> like we do, most things we overthrow and you know, this will never never be seen again. The rubble's still there, but it's never been overbuild or nobody's thought to move it. This is the
1: part that you've studied a lot about. We're going to get into Titus and how Titus destroys the temple based on this prophecy of Jesus. But I will say this. um, When Titus destroys the temple and brings it all down, he flattens it afterwards and he puts a temple to Venus on it to insult God. Um... And many people have tried to rebuild the temple and are still doing so, <laughs> still trying to, right? And when you look at the temple walls now that are there, not the temple, but the temple walls that hold up the mount, uh, John will hopefully be able to confirm this for me. My my guide pointed out, and I could show you pictures, I'll put pictures in the show notes, that the crusaders tried to rebuild stuff and they got the stones going all the wrong way. <laughs> like you literally can see door frames going the ro- up and down instead of across and across instead of down and they're just put into the wall cuz they're they they're trying to in the crusades put it back right but they don't know what they're doing and some of the rocks are still at the bottom and some are in the wrong places hmm. um it's fascinating. My, my guide would, would would show us like, look at this. This is a door frame, and look at it. It's in the middle of a wall for no reason, going the wrong direction, right? Um, so yeah. So let's talk about Titus bringing it all down. So, well, let me ask this question first: Is Jesus predicting the destruction of Jerusalem because he's upset with it? Because John's raised a good question. Jesus doesn't have a problem with Jerusalem. He has a problem with what's happening. And how it's being used, even, you know, the failure to recognize their king. Why is Jesus predicting its destruction?
2: I think he's basically, in one way, that's why I kind of point to Deuteronomy. He's just reinforcing what his father said is going to happen when you reject me, when you break the covenant. True. And I gave you the ultimate in my covenant promise in my son. To come down here and save you. Ah. And you broken that covenant by rejecting him and and eventually killing him. And Jesus knew that's what they were going to do. And he knew, because based on his father's words back in the, what Moses wrote, and then it was reinforced through various prophets along the way that this is what's going to happen. It happened numerous times, you know, after Solomon and after other kingdoms have conquered Jerusalem. And Jesus knew that once you got Pax Romana and, and you basically kind of got a break to kind of do what you need to want to do, it still wasn't good enough for the Jews in the sense that they wanted, you know, they didn't want to be under any Roman rule and do what they needed to do. I says, okay, kind of understand that to a certain extent. But Jesus also knew because you broke this covenant again, and this is the ultimate covenant because this is God literally here to save not only you but everyone else, this is the consequences, this is what's going to happen. Not because he wanted to do it, you know, he begs them. not, you know, if you just repent, to spare you from this. Um, That's how I kind of view it. He was sad because he knew this is what Moses wrote about. This is what the prophets before wrote about. This is what's happened over and over again. Now you have the ultimate symbol. Maybe the temple isn't what you think David was. It's greater than that because I'm here. David didn't have me walking among you as a living symbol of this. Now you do. You have something David and Solomon never had. You had something Moses never had. In the sense that, yes, Moses, you know, I'm not you know, up on the mount, but outside of that. And you rejected this. And, Mm. And I guess you can maybe even throw in Stephen as well. And they rejected Stephen. You know, maybe if they repented with Stephen, maybe this temple would have been spared. Maybe. But... They rejected Stephen, so.
1: So it's it's not so much of a high school boyfriend being upset that he didn't get the love of his life. It's that after multiple violations of the contract of the agreement of the covenant, it's Israel has now said,
2: "We want a divorce," and we're
1: breaking the covenant.
2: Let the blood of their let the blood be on our heads and on our children and our children's children. Wow, and it's interesting. Right. Jesus said, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. They didn't, and the blood upon their sins has been on their their gener- upon generations upon generations. And, and the reason for it being Jerusalem that
1: signifies the end of the covenant is because that is how atonement is done. Atonement can't be done at synagogues, atonement can't be done in Magdala or even Bashirah. It can't be done in Bethel. It can't be done along the river of Jordan or in Jericho or even as the Samaritans think in Samaria. It can only be done in Jerusalem. Israel itself is breaking up with Jesus. Jesus is dying in the place where the covenant should be because he's going to do what? My blood is a what? A new covenant. Right, he's replacing the old with the new. It's, it's almost like I don't know. It's it's weird. It's almost like getting a divorce and remarriage in the same church, in the same spot that you married your first wife. I don't know. <laughs> the analogy breaks down, but you get you get what I'm saying. It's because the temple and the, and the shedding of blood is the symbol of the first covenant.
0: I think we also have to remember what we spoke about Jesus is the fulfillment of both the function of synagogue and the function of the temple Uh, Jesus is he is the fulfillment of those two very important religious institutions and Jesus makes an even clearer connection to himself and the temple when he when he told uh, the religious leaders, uh, "You know, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again."
1: Good point. Uh,
0: so Jesus is making a very clear connection between himself and the temple. And what I find super fascinating about this is that both both of these temples, the physical temple in jerusalem was destroyed and jesus the fulfillment the temple in the flesh was destroyed but there's only
1: one temple that was rebuilt john you are bringing home my theology all together <laughs> And,
0: and, and that is Jesus Sorry if I stole your thunder but, but no, You, you didn't mean, steal
1: my thunder You just connected my theology John has just brought it full circle and, and he's pointing out That Jesus replaces both The teaching and the atonement And when it comes to the atonement The old goes down And only the new comes back up And so
0: We don't need To look to the temple in Jerusalem anymore and it stays destroyed because it serves no purpose anymore. Instead, we focus our attention on Jesus, the temple that was rebuilt.
1: Stay tuned. For part two, where we find out how Jesus is the temple and what is his future plans for Jerusalem. Jerusalem, ye who killed and stoned the prophets. Stay tuned for part two on Jerusalem and Jesus. You have been listening to a podcast produced by SimplyVinny.com. Stop by our website, read our blog, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all that jazzy promotional stuff. But remember, I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you when life throws a monkey wrench at your head, Jesus is still the logo The reason, the logic, the word that builds your life back all the way to the kingdom of God. Until next time, God will be blessing you. See you at the next podcast.